Welcome to the Simply Resilient Podcast, episode number 44, Adventures in Flight School. My name is Jesse Ellertson, and I am a life coach and a military wife who is in the trenches of life with each of you. This podcast is for military wives who know how to handle the challenges of deployments and frequent trainings, but want to improve the experience that they are having in the process. If you are ready to thrive while your husband is away, then you are in the right place. Our battle buddy moment for today is a review for the podcast from Toya1289. And she says, lovely podcast. Jesse is very aware of the struggles that military families and spouses go through and is able to be kind and empathetic. I love listening while I'm getting ready in the AM. Thank you so much for that review. I have a special treat for you guys today. My husband, Brad, is joining me on the podcast today. Hey, Brad. Hello. Glad that you're here today. I decided that today we were going to talk about some of our adventures from flight school and have Brad on the podcast with me because Brad just got back from Fort Rucker from doing kind of a flight school part two. So tell us a little bit about that, Brad. I spent four months in... Fort Rucker, Alabama, learning a new helicopter. I previously learned on the Black Hawk helicopter. Now I'm qualified on the Apache helicopter. Awesome. So having him back at Fort Rucker, where we lived for a couple of years, we've been reminiscing about some of those times. So we're going to just share some of those fun stories with you today. So it started back in 2010, 2010, when Brad graduated from college and commissioned as an officer. And at this time, we were actually a little discouraged and confused because we were planning to go active duty at that point, but he wasn't able to get an active duty spot. Yes, that is correct. I don't know what you want me to say. (laughs) So, Brad, why weren't we able to get an active duty spot? You want me to bare my soul about how... Yes, you're talking about your grades. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Me and college don't get along. Uh, between ROTC, I was on the track and field team for four years. I graduated with a wife and three children. So needless to say, my grades suffered being spread that thin. And that GPA kept me below the active duty line when it came time to commissioning. So um, I stayed in the National Guard unit that I was drilling with at that time. I'd been with them for oh three years by then, so they knew me really well. And going back to them and saying that I plan on staying with them as an officer uh, ended up being a very good thing. Uh, being in aviation probably wasn't going to happen if I was able to go active duty. So I think in the end, it was a very positive thing. It definitely was. And I want to add that if we had commissioned just the year before, we would have made the cut for active duty because the way I understand it, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Brad, that because in 2008, the economy tanked for a while, a lot of people joined the military. And so where normally the cutoff for active duty was not that high, as more and more people joined, the cutoff got harder and harder. Is that correct? Uh, Yeah, I believe that's what my uh, instructor explained to me. So I think that played a role as well. (laughs) Okay. My grades were so bad, I'll I'll admit it. It was (laughs) embarrassing. Uh, I wasn't embarrassed at all. I thought you were doing a killer job. Anyway, so like Brad said, it all in all was a huge blessing for our family, even though at the time we were so confused because that was the plan. We had to change the plan. He commissioned in August of 2010, and by January of 2011, just you know, five short months later, we were on our way to Fort Rucker. We had a flight spot, like he said, we wouldn't have gotten if we had gone active duty, and we were on our way for our first military move. So when we moved from Utah to Alabama, we had three little girls. 
Jane was four and a half years old, Marin was three and a half years old, and Kate was just 13 months old. They, we just kind of had three littles, and that was a big adventure. One thing that made that time easier that I know a lot of you have experience with was that the military moved us, and this was our first experience with that as well. It was interesting to have someone come in and pack all your stuff and, and handle that part of it, and we're so grateful that the military provided that for us. What do you remember about do you have anything you remember about that whole process of them packing us or driving seven days in the car to Alabama? <laughs> uh, I remember the, the packing was very nice, having someone come in and do it all for you. Uh, it, was, it was in January, and this massive truck was trying to get to our neighborhood. On this small road. And there was a foot and a half of snow on the road, and this driver was incredible with moving this massive truck in the snow. Yeah. Uh, on the drive from Utah to Alabama. I remember each day our legs grew shorter and shorter because we <laughs> could spend could only spend less and less time in the car with three girls that were driving us crazy. They were going crazy. And this particularly, I remember Kate. Kate was miserable and she was making all of us completely miserable because she was 13 months old and she was at that sweet spot where the only thing that made her happy was moving. She didn't want toys, she didn't want shows, she didn't even want snacks, she didn't want to sleep, she just wanted to crawl. So it was challenging, and yeah, each day we drove a little bit less and a little bit less because that was all we could handle that day in the car. But we eventually made it. I think we did drive for five or six days. Yeah. Maybe two, three, four hundred miles a day, depending on, yep. on where our hotels were and everything. And we also stayed one day at my sister's in the middle. I remember that. She lived in Texas at the time, which was almost exactly halfway on our journey. So that was nice to break that up in the middle. Another thing that I remember, and I want to see if you remember this, Brad. On our first night in Alabama at Fort Rucker, we stayed in the hotel on post. Do you remember that? I do remember that lovely place. And we were all crammed in that room, and we were trying to be quiet because the girls were asleep and there was a BYU football game on that night. Basketball. Oh, game. basketball. Yes, a BYU basketball game on that night. Yeah. And we didn't have a way to watch it on the TV in the hotel and so your dad pointed his iPad or laptop or something at his TV and then was on FaceTime with you and then you had headphones on and I just have this vivid memory of you like jumping out of your chair and silent screaming and cheering. Like because all the girls were asleep and we were just in this tiny hotel room, he was wanting to be exuberant when exciting things happened in the game. Do you remember that? Oh, that I, was so I funny. remember that very well. It was <laughs> a very exciting time in BYU basketball. I love that I forgot it was basketball because we don't play football in January. Well, unless you're really good oh, yeah. in the tournaments after <laughs> the new true. year. Yeah. Okay. So after we got there and we got settled and it took a little while for our stuff to come. So we had fun kind of camping out in our house. And anyway, Brad eventually, after maybe just two weeks, I think, started school. And also Jane started school. And this was the first time Jane had gone to real school. It was preschool, but they had on post, uh, it was a DOD school. And it was a primary school that had preschool, kindergarten, and first grade. And then I believe like the secondary school had second through sixth grade. Anyway, so I vividly remember that Jane and Brad had the same first day of school. And I just thought that was so cute because they 
Jane was getting all ready with her school shoes and her backpack on. And then we were kind of teasing Brad, like, you got your backpack, honey. And he's headed off to his first day of flight school. And that was so fun. Another thing that I remember that was funny about moving there was it was so much warmer than Utah, but the locals thought it was freezing. And we were thinking, man, when are they going to open up the pool on post? Like, I knew it wouldn't open in February, but I thought maybe March for sure by April once we're getting like 90 degree days. But no, they do not open it until Memorial Day, just like here in Utah. And it was hot for months before they opened that pool. And I thought that was so funny. One thing that surprised me about living in Alabama is we were really far away from most of our family, but it was pretty surprising how many visitors we got, even just within those first few months. So I had a sister in Florida and Brad had a brother in Ohio and also both of our parents visited within the first few months. So it was very pleasantly surprising to still have so much connection with family. One visit that I was remembering was when your brother and his wife came and they brought their boys and we went to Florida to go to the beach for a day. We went to a state park down in Florida because where Fort Rucker is in Alabama is in the southeast corner and so it's very close to the panhandle of Florida. We went to this beach and it, we were had ready for a day of fun, brought all the equipment we needed and it was pretty windy but we thought it's okay we'll just get out there and the wind will calm down. Anyway the wind never calmed down and it actually got worse. So I have all these pictures of us just bundled up on the beach, wrapped in our towels with coats on, our hair going everywhere. And I have this one picture of me trying to make peanut butter sandwiches because the kids were hungry. (laughs) And everyone is just miserable. But we're sure if we just waited out, because we had driven down there and these guys were only here for a couple of days and we really just wanted to have a beach day. And we thought if we just wait this wind out, it will calm down. And it never calmed down. But do you remember when the ball rolled down the beach? What happened? I don't With remember Marin? that. Oh, no. man. I have a really good memory, you guys. You'll you'll learn this about me. And I do not. And he does not. So we had, we just brought a toy to play with. And one of our girls, I can't remember if it was Jane or Marin, chased a ball that was blowing away. And we didn't realize for a while that she had done that. And all of a sudden we look around, where's Marin? I think it was Marin. Probably Marin. <laughs> Probably Marin. And we see her way down. She wasn't going to like go in the water, but still it was very unnerving to have her have gone so far away, just chasing this little ball blowing away. And for us to not realize she had done that, that was pretty crazy. But we were able to salvage the day because we ate sandy sandwiches and we decided to pack up off of the beach and give up swimming and all that we were trying to do in that moment. And we ended up having a really nice day. It just didn't include laying out on the beach or swimming. One of the most exciting things that happened while we were in Alabama was having our son, Bruce. And so I can still remember finding out we were pregnant and being so excited. And we had this little joke going because we had three girls that we thought maybe, you know, people will joke about, you know, there's something in the water. Like there's something in the water in Utah that made us have girls. And now maybe there'd be something in the water in Alabama that would finally let us get our boy. And we were right. We got a boy. And it was so awesome. And I don't remember why we would say this, but we had a joke that the B in Alabama was for boy. Do you remember that? But Alabama doesn't even start with a B. It just has one in there. I don't remember that. My memory is like penguins on an iceberg. When I put one more thing on there, another penguin gets pushed off into the the water. Okay. Tell us about Dunker training, Brad. Uh, Dunker course is a training event that pilots uh, go through where they are trained in how to exit a aircraft that has essentially crashed into water 
So you become very confident in being able to extract yourself out of a, an aircraft, uh, whether you're upside down or anything like that. So they, they simulate it in water. You're, you're strapped into a fake fuselage. You're lowered into the water. You're rotated 180 degrees upside down. And then you it's get out. It's dark, isn't it? Uh, well, sometimes you're blindfolded. Oh. Um, and then you systematically exit the pretend helicopter. Right. It's. I, I enjoyed it. I, I'm very comfortable with the water. I know some of my peers did not enjoy it, it so much. It's stressful for yeah. some people. A very, pretty intense training, but yeah. a very valuable thing to know how to do if that scenario ever occurred. One fun thing about flight school, because it was probably your busiest time of your life, was holding bubbles. Do you remember how those would go? Oh, yes. Uh, in between the various courses that we as officers and pilots have to go through to ultimately become uh, 15 alphas or uh, qualified aviators and then go out back to our units and execute. There's there's times where you would get a backlog or a log jam where you just have to hang out for a month or two before there's space for you to go on to the next course. And they would try and use you in various uh, ways to keep you productive, but oftentimes you had a lot of free time to, uh, I used it mostly for golfing, and, <laughs> and hanging out with, with your with family. family. <laughs> of course, of course. So when he was in the middle of his courses, we barely saw him because he was either in class or studying or sneaking in some sleep. So whenever we were in a holding bubble, we really took full advantage of it and just had lots of fun as a family. And he would do things like he said, like they would just give him funeral detail and some different yeah. things to keep him busy during holding bubbles. But for the most part, we were just waiting for the next spot. And that's one reason why you don't know how long flight school will be. It could be a year and a half. It could be all the way up to two years, depending on which airframe you're assigned to and how long your holding bubbles end up lasting. One really intense training that Brad had to participate in during flight school is called SEER school. Survive, evade, resist, escape is what the SEER stands for, S-E-R-E. And most of what he participated in there is confidential and you can't talk about it, but I'm going to tell you about my experience while he was at SEER school and he'll add anything that he's able to. But it's basically necessary for all pilots to learn what to do if they were ever you know, captured by the enemy or in trouble in that way. And it was really challenging because at this point for me, I was super pregnant. And during this training, we had no contact with Brad. That was another part that was very challenging. We haven't experienced that except for during basic training. But even then, we had some limited contact with phone calls and, and then letters at a certain point. But during the full three weeks of SEER school, it's zero contact. And that was very surprisingly challenging for me. I mean, I knew he was close by. He wasn't even far away. And I had somewhat of an understanding of what he was participating in. All in all, I knew he was fine. But to not hear from him for three weeks straight was super challenging. And I blame some of that on being pregnant. I would have lots of elaborate dreams at night about why we couldn't be talking. And none of them were the actual reason, which was just that he was in seer school. It was that he was actually in prison or he was dead or he, you know, a variety of reasons. Just my brain was creating lots of drama. Preparing for seer school was also an interesting thing because we gathered as much information as we could before he left. Because if you, would you call it washed out? If you get washed out for any reason, you have to start back over at the beginning. And so your buddies would prep you and say, you know, don't do this or you could get washed out. Or, you know, we heard stories like someone forgot they had a candy bar in their bag and you, know, you can't you can't take any outside food in. There's all these rules. And if you got washed out, you just had to go into a holding bubble till they had another spot in your school for you and start all the way over, no matter if you were all the way on day 20 of 21 days. Another thing we prepared for was if someone were to pass away while Brad was gone, 
in Sears school, like his grandpa or something, we had to talk about each person that might pass away and decide, is this someone you'd want me to interrupt your school for? Or is this something you just want to wait and hear about after? It was very weird to have to make that decision of, you know, if my uncle dies, don't interrupt me from Sears school. But if my grandpa dies, do. Because if I interrupt his Sears school and he wants to come out and go to the funeral, he just knows he's going to have to start over. So it was just quite a process to go through and all in all Brad learned a lot in that training very incredible valuable training and when we got him back at the end we were all very relieved that it was over anything you think you can share from it I mean just it's one line I remember hearing it's the best training you never want to do again (laughs) because it is it's very very good training it's well planned well executed and it, it's very enjoyable at times, but there's, you know, a couple parts that are intentionally extremely miserable. But I, you learn a lot about yourself, about how you process stress, and obviously the do's and don'ts in those different situations. But like I said, it was very good training that I would rather not do again. Okay, let's talk about some fun things. Okay. One fun thing that we love to do living in Alabama was to go to the drive-in movie theater. That is not something they do here in Utah. Well, they used to, but they don't anymore. So that was a way fun experience to go with some of our friends and all the kids and get tons of treats and bring dinner and stay way too late watching fun movies out of the back of our car. And one thing we were always watching for was fire ant hills because <laughs> you get your chairs all set up, but you got to make sure you are not sitting in a fire ant hill, which we're going to get to a story about that in a little bit. Another fun thing that I'm going to let Brad talk about was when we were in Alabama, he bought a motorcycle. Yes, I did, because the alternative was to drive our minivan with my wife's then business decal on the side of it to the flight line where all of my peers are driving their raised trucks and sports cars and me with my minivan. Said squeaky shoes for tiny tots on the side. Squeaky shoes. (laughs) advertisement on there so i decided to just buy a cheap motorcycle to get around post with some of my dignity intact (laughs) we only had one car in alabama where a lot of our friends ended up with two They, they decided to bring two cars down and so brad definitely was awesome and drove the minivan a lot but about halfway through i'd say we decided no more we got him a motorcycle and that was so fun okay brad so next tell us please about what is a nickel ride what does that mean a nickel ride is a long-standing tradition from that that started back after i can't remember if it was world war one or two when pilots were coming home after the war and there was no demand for pilots to fly anything really at the time so they would just take people up in the air for a nickel and Nowadays, we use a nickel with uh, the new pilot's birthday on it. So I got a nickel and presented that to my instructor on my first flight. That's kind of the tradition and how it started. So it was very exciting for Brad to actually get flying because it takes quite a few months to get to that moment where you're actually flying, right? A lot, the first part is just a lot of cor- a lot of coursework. Okay, so the next thing that I want to talk about, and this is the main thing I talk about when anyone ever brings up the fact that we lived in Alabama, and that is the bugs. The bugs are, there are more bugs than people down there, for sure. Lots and lots of bugs. What were your favorite bugs, Brad? My favorite bugs were the gnats. They they like to hang out in front of your eyeballs and inside your ears all the time. And, and at, at Sears School, where I am outside for... I think eight or nine days straight, they were constantly, 24 hours a day, trying to get inside my head. And it was infuriating. 
and they just sit on your eyelashes. I, I, I would look down at my kids, my little kids who didn't really know how to shoo a fly out of their face, I guess. They didn't really understand what was happening to them. And my, you know, my one-year-old, two-year-old would just have gnats just sitting on her eyelashes and all on her cheeks. And she just didn't know what to do about it. She was stressed, but she didn't know how to get them away. And I would just shoo them out of her face. One good news is, though, we did learn that pretty much all the bugs down there have seasons. So it wasn't gnats year-round. It was certain seasons of gnats. But then as soon as the gnat season ended, then the cockroach season would really flare up. Maybe cockroaches are there year-round. I don't know. Anyway, it did seem like most of the bugs had seasons. So that was at least a little bit encouraging. One thing that would really get to me were the poisonous spiders. Most mornings I would go out and sweep cobwebs off our porches and where we would be walking, where my kids would be playing. And by that night, the spiders, the unpoisonous, a lot of poisonous spiders would come out every night and just spin a new web. And you could just go out there and see five or six spiders just in the middle of their brand new web that they just spun again that night. And I would just let them know, I'll be coming for you in the morning, boys. And I would just take care of them every morning. And this was, for those of you that lived in the South, you kind of just know how this goes. But living on post was nice because they had pest control coming out every month spraying. Where normally in normal parts of the world where bugs are not king, you can go maybe quarterly getting pest spray, pest control spray and, and not have a problem. But even with being sprayed every month, we were still constantly battling bugs. When we first moved there and we figured out how it went with cockroaches, I didn't have a lot of experience with cockroaches. My husband did serving his church mission in Texas had gotten a lot of exposure to cockroaches, but this was kind of my first time. And he didn't know I was doing this, but I would catch the cockroaches and put them outside. Do you remember discovering that? He came home from work and caught me doing it. And he said, you can't catch them and put them outside. You just have to kill them. Because he knew that I would just put them outside and they would just come right back in, (laughs) in whatever way they were getting in. So I had to learn really quick how to get brave enough to squash big, huge, gnarly cockroaches and not be super grossed out about it. And it it didn't take long before I was just way used to it. And I'd see one and just grab a shoe and smash it and take care of the carcass. But at first I was being very humane and catching them and putting them outside. The main summer that we were there, the summer of 2011, I was super pregnant. And so the only time that we would go outside was basically when we were headed to the pool or if we were headed to an air conditioned building, we didn't just hang out outside. And that was really different for us because in Utah, even when it's a hundred degrees in the summer, as long as you can be in the shade, you're doing pretty good because it's so dry here. We don't have humidity here. And it was so surprising to us that even in the shade, you were just completely miserable in Alabama. And so it was kind of, it was hard on me to think like, where's our summer going? Like we're not doing very many fun outside adventures. And I had to just realize that their seasons are kind of swapped down there where here in Utah in the winter, we bundle up and go straight from one heated building to the heated car to another heated building, or we bundle up and play in the snow. And that's similar to how summers go in Alabama where you just go from your air-conditioned house to your air-conditioned car to another air-conditioned building or you get in your swimming suits and go play in the water but when you're in Alabama in the winter it's such pleasant weather even though you know it can get chilly but you can do lots of things outside and it's very pleasant and then here in Utah in the summer that's our spring summer fall that's our really nice weather where we do tons of stuff outside and even in the middle of the summer when it's very hot We can go up in the mountains or we can just make sure we've got some shade and a little bit, you know, like a little bit of water, sprinkler, whatever, and then we're good to go. We can be outside because it's so dry. So we really had to adjust to that humidity and that idea that 
there weren't going to be a lot of adventures in the summer like we were used to. I've already talked about on the podcast how I started Squeaky Shoes for Tiny Tots in Alabama and all the adventure that that was. Another thing I wanted to talk about was Aviation Spouse Day. They had an opportunity for spouses to be selected to participate in an Aviation Spouse Day where we had a chance to kind of get a sampling of everything our spouse was going through. And so I was one of the spouses selected, but I was pregnant. So some of the things that I normally would have participated in, I had to just watch. Like, for example, we did our own version of dunker training. Obviously, nothing near what these soldiers do, but we got in the water and they had us participate in the less intense part so that we could see, you know, what our husbands had to do. And they showed us how they put that fuselage under the water, you know, with our husbands strapped inside, flipped upside down. Anyway, none of us did that part, but they showed us how that part worked. They gave us a tour of all their facilities and all their different airframes. And we were also able to get into the actual Blackhawk simulators and fly and practice flying in the simulators. And I definitely crashed each time. (laughs) Not good at hovering this one, turns out. We did some different obstacle courses and ropes courses and all these things that they do all throughout flight school just to get a fun sampling of everything that our flight school spouse was going through. And at the end, it was very fun. They did a whole graduation ceremony at the end of the day. They really did a great job and I had fun doing that, even though, like I said, I wasn't able to participate as much as my peers were able to, who were not pregnant. (laughs) I wasn't just pregnant. I was, I think, 36 weeks pregnant. I was very pregnant on this day. One of the notorious big assignments in flight school is the big maps project. Tell us about that, Brad. So instead of using modern technology, the Army likes to stay in the Stone Age, and for a good purpose, uh, for an appropriate intent. During the tactics phase of the initial training, all pilots are required to create a map of the local training area with all of the hazards, towers, wires, roads, anything like that on the map. And you had to do that by hand with a pencil or a marker. And that was very labor intensive, like, I don't know, 40 hours of of work to get these maps all marked up correctly. And then once you've got them marked correctly, you have to fold them all together. They call it the Australian fold, where you essentially put, I don't know, eight or 10, I can't remember how many there were, big maps that are probably, you know, three feet by three feet. You fold them up in a certain way where you now have a one foot by one foot book that you can open up and fold it both or open it left and right and up and down in order to get to where you need to see while you're sitting in a cramped cockpit and you have to you have to draw the next day's route on it on that map um, every night and it becomes uh, very difficult and you know each day you have to be able to take off and land at a certain landing zone you know 150 minutes away and you have to be able to land with plus or minus 30 seconds of your planned landing time so you got very good at that <laughs> and we still have those maps you better be sure we'll never use them again but we will never get rid of them they represent so much diligent work on brad's part in october of 2011 we've been there about 10 months, our son was born, Bruce, and that was quite an experience. I have had all my babies here in Utah, and Bruce was the only one born in a different state. And in Utah, you know, most of us have big families here, and so when you go into the hospital to have babies, there's always lots of other women having babies, but I was the only one in the hospital having a baby, and that was so fun. I got really doted on. It was very exciting for the nurses. I think maybe while I was there, one other woman came in to have a baby, and another thing was I decided to have my baby in 
Enterprise rather than Dothan where most of our other flight school friends who were having babies decided to go into but I didn't want to do all my doctor's appointments half an hour away with my other little kids so Enterprise was much closer even though it was a smaller maybe less new hospital but we still just had a great experience they took very good care of us and I remember my favorite part was they brought us a steak dinner do you remember that they gave us a date night in the hospital I do remember that it was so fun it was awesome they took Bruce to the nursery they brought us steak and bubbly not non-alcoholic for us we don't drink <laughs> And, um, I don't know, salad, mashed potatoes, rolls, just the works. And they said, this is like your date night in the hospital before you go home tomorrow with your baby. And I thought that was so sweet. They don't do that in Utah. Too many babies here. (laughs) Another fun memory specific to Alabama is the Peanut Festival. Tell us about the Peanut Festival, Brad. It is a large festival themed around peanuts. <laughs> I guess they grow a lot of... I, I didn't see peanut farms. I guess they're down there. The favorite crop of yeah. Alabama. And so they've come up with 1,000 different ways to cook them. You can boil them in all sorts of different flavors. And they're good. I, I enjoyed them. They're yeah, delicious people, and fun to just pick up a bag and chew on them. People really good. rave about the boiled peanuts. I, they were okay. They, nothing. It was right a new experience. About, it yeah. was a different experience from what we're used to, but I, I enjoyed it. And there's, you know, a, a big festival, a big carnival, along with a thousand different ways to eat the peanut. It was fun. It was a really fun adventure for our family. I've already told you guys the story about the nest of bugs in our first real Christmas tree because in Utah up until this point we'd had a fake Christmas tree and we got rid of it when we moved and we thought okay next Christmas we're getting a real Christmas tree so not only was it our first real Christmas tree it was our first Christmas and only Christmas in Alabama and our tree was infested with bugs and lived the rest of its time out on our front porch and that worked out okay because we actually went and spent Christmas in Virginia with my family who lived up there you want to tell us what you remember about that trip Oh, I was about I was about to start the Blackhawk course and you have to show up day one to that course with a laundry list of numbers and phrases memorized. They call them fives and nines. It's chapter five and chapter nine of the operator's manual of the helicopter. And so you need to have all these numbers and limitations and emergency procedures memorized. So that took the majority of my free time over Christmas break to cram into my head. At the time, I had one brother in Virginia and a sister in Maryland, so it was very fun to spend Christmas break with them and let Brad hide away in rooms studying so that he would have that all memorized in time. But it was it ended up being just a really fun trip and a wonderful way to celebrate Christmas. A little bit after Christmas, we got our first dog our family's ever owned and the only dog our family's ever owned. Her name's Maddie, and she's the sweetest. She's an old lady now, but when we got her at the time, she was, I think, five. And we just had friends who were also at flight school with us that needed to find a new home for their dog, and they had rescued her as maybe a one-year-old, and she's just the sweetest dog ever. And I heard her talking to another person, just saying, yeah, we're looking for a great new home for our dog. And Brad and I had been talking about it because we just, even though we're not huge animal people, we do believe that kids should grow up with animals and So when this opportunity came up, we just went for it. And she has been amazing. We love her. Okay, Brad, I want you to tell everybody about my best idea I've ever had that I will never live down. She had, and I don't know even know how she talked me into this. (laughs) She had the bright idea of swapping bedrooms, giving the master bedroom to our three girls, and we take the kids' bedroom. I, I, I still don't remember the positive 
arguments in in her case. How was that a win-win? Well, so here's, let me give you a little background and then Brad can tell you more how it was a big problem. (laughs) Our house had a master bedroom and then two kids' bedrooms. And we had the three girls in one and our boy in one and we were in the master bedroom. But I hated having all the kids' toys in the front room. So that was my main motivation was if we give them the master bedroom, they'll have their own bathroom and then keep all their toys in their room with them. And then we would take their room, which was an okay size. But then we lost our master bathroom and our room became much smaller. And we have a big California king size bed. So then it became much smaller. So once we had made the change, I realized this is not great. But then we weren't willing to switch back, especially because we only had a few more months in Alabama. So that is definitely one of my ideas that has gone down in history of, I can't, Brad, I can't believe you talked me into that and that was your worst idea ever. <laughs> I like to bring it up a lot. <laughs> it's okay, I can handle it. The kids loved it. They had a great time in their new master suite with all their toys in there with them. And we sort of grumpily slept in our small room for the next you know, four or five months, however much time we had left in Alabama. Okay. One of our favorite things we did while living in Alabama, and this was just right after graduation, was we took our two older girls to Disney World. This was when they were about five and six years old. We took Jane and Mary to Disney World, and we left the younger two, Kate and Bruce, with my sister, Jenica, in Florida. And that still, to this day, is probably one of our favorite vacations we've ever taken. And we've been on a a lot of other fun ones since then for different reasons, but as far as ones that involve the kids, definitely top three, for sure. What what do you remember about that trip, Brad? I I think it, it was a combination of two different decompressions. It was decompressing from how many kids we had at the time and decompressing after flight school. And all of a sudden we had all of this freedom. We had one adult per child and we were no longer in Fort Rucker, Alabama. We were at the happiest place on earth with our two older kids who were having a great time. And it was a magical four days. I was, you know, complete with flight school. So that was a load off my shoulders. It was so fun. We did all four parks. Like you guys know, we get a military discount and we stayed in this. If you guys haven't used the Armed Forces Vacation Club, that's a great resource for booking seven nights in a really nice hotel for only, you know, in some places you can get it as low as $300. It was awesome. So we had seven nights in this beautiful hotel right by Disney World. And we spent four days at one day at each park and three days at the hotel. And it was just an incredible really fun time. Okay, so one thing that really saved the day was Brad's parents coming out for graduation and then flying home with Bruce, who was still a baby, and helping us move for sure. And so that way, we decided to do a Diddy move on the way home, do-it-yourself move. Rather than having the military move us, we had lots of friends who had tried this, and we thought we'd give it a try, where you move yourself, and then they pay you the difference of what they would have paid the movers, and then you end up being able to make some money. So... It was a very different experience moving home than it was moving out there because, you know, moving out there, they moved us and moving home, we did it ourselves. And it was definitely more work, but it was fun to make that little bit of that little bit of money, which I think ended up being worth it. But we we packed ourselves. We drove the moving truck ourselves. And because Brad's parents took Bruce home on the airplane with them, I was able to just have two kids in the car with me. And Brad took one kid in the truck with him and we kind of rotated who got to be in the truck with him. And that ended up being an even bigger blessing than we could have imagined because I ended up getting really, really sick. And it wasn't until a couple weeks later that we were settled in Utah and I still wasn't any better. And we, I went to the doctor and we realized I had walking pneumonia. But it started out as basically just a cold. But because it came on right as we were moving, 
I couldn't just take a couple days off and go to bed and get better. So I just powered through and we just kept packing and moving and loading and cleaning. And I just felt so sick every day and it was just getting a little bit worse and a little bit worse. But I thought, you know, it's okay and we'll just start driving and it'll be fine. And in the car every morning, I was just, all I wanted to do was keep sleeping. And I was just so sick and so tired. And I would take whatever meds I could that were non-drowsy, obviously, because I was driving. And then we would get to the hotel and I would just crash and Brad would do everything. He would do the cars and the stuff and the kids and the dinner and the baths and take them swimming and everything and I was just asleep in our hotel room. It was kind of a wild ride we didn't plan for but we were so grateful we didn't have our baby with us at that time. So anyway, quite quite an ordeal getting home but we made it back home we spent a few months in brad's parents basement while we got brad's job squared away and house hunted and found our first house we ever bought and lived in you know bought a house in riverton and lived there for four years and it was so wonderful and flight school just really marked i feel like our family going from just a young young married people with babies to we had kids in school we had a dog we bought a house like between the people we were before flight school and the people we were after flight school, we had a career path. We had, you know, we just really grew up, I feel like, when we were in Alabama. And just a lot of amazing experiences, you know, living away from family and just needing to grow up. And it was so valuable. And we're so grateful that we had that opportunity. And then now here we are, flight school part two, off on more grand adventures. And all through it all, we just are glad we have each other. We're ready for whatever comes next and love this military life. Anything you want to add, honey? Uh, I was just mentioning to a friend of mine today how well this military life has worked out for us. Yeah. Um, when I when I feel like things aren't working, if I just stick with it, doors open up and success follows. Yeah, it's not for everybody, but it's been a great fit for our family. The military's taken great care of us and we, we love it. I want to end with a hot mess moment about fire ants. <laughs> So I remember just a few months before we left Alabama, I asked a friend to watch my kids for a couple hours while I went and got my hair cut at the PX. And I, my friend called me and said, I'm so sorry, but I accidentally let Kate stand in a fire ant hill. And for those of you that don't have experience with this, the ants down there are really something else. And they make these little dirt mounds that warn you, you know, don't step here. This is a fire ant hill. And if you step in it, they'll get on your feet and bite you. But what kids don't realize, so grownups know how to watch that and we teach our kids for sure but this was my two-year-old who you know kids are little kids especially toddlers are pretty clueless and so without realizing it she stood right in a fire ant hill and was watching her sisters play or whatever the friends they're playing and what will happen with fire ants is they'll get on you they started crawling on her foot and up her leg and then she looked down and saw them and like screamed and when you do that the ants feel it. They feel, I don't know if it's your panic or your blood racing or your pulse or whatever. And they all bite at once. I, I, I didn't see this happen to my daughter, but I've had it explained to me this way and they bite and they don't let go. So then it's hard to actually get them off of your skin. And so my friend ran over there and all the ants had bit her and she was screaming and my, you, I think you have to hose them off or something. Anyway, she brushed some of them off and she had to you know, do a few things to get these ants off of my daughter's leg. And they all, when they bite, they put in a little bit of poison or a little bit of venom, whatever. And anyway, my daughter was just a mess and my friend felt so bad, but it just happens, you know, obviously you can't be watching them, you know, every second and making sure they're not stepping in these things. And 
So I got my daughter home and was just comforting her. And she took, she, she was ready to take a nap and she took a seven hour nap. And I was so scared because I thought something's wrong. She got bit by too many. I called poison control and they sort of laughed at my question. I said, do you know if you get bit by like a lot of fire ants and you're little, if that can be a problem? And they were like, I don't even know what you're talking about. And I was like, you need to understand what these fire ants are because she had little sores all over her leg. I could see how many had bitten her. Anyway, turns out she was just exhausted from her traumatic morning and she was totally fine. She didn't have a fever or anything. So I got her up and fed her and just let her go back to bed. And the next day, every single bite had a little, you know, um, what do you call that? Pustule? Pus bubble. Yeah, pus bubble, whatever. And it was also, so it was still painful and it was itchy. And now they were all like sores. And if she scratched them, they would become like wounds, you know? And so I had to keep Brad's long socks all the way on her, all the way up her thigh so that she couldn't, she'd still kind of scratch her leg, but she couldn't get to the skin. And because I had to cover her foot and her leg and everything. And it took, I think, a full week to get on top of those fire ant bites. Poor Kate, man, that was so traumatic. And so don't mess around with fire ants. That's my hot mess moment for today. And that's what I have for you. Thank you so much for taking time in your day to listen to this episode. If you are enjoying this podcast, please go to my website, simplyresilient.net to download my free guide to thriving during deployment. I also love when you share this podcast with your friends and rate and review it. Remember that when we choose to intentionally manage our minds, we go from feeling mentally miserable to feeling like a mental warrior. You've got this. I'll talk to you soon. Over and out. Give me here, Brad. <laughs>